Quack, quack, quack. It's the big one, y'all. Certainly the one we were all talking about before this season. There was at UW, there was at Utah, and then there was USC coming to Eugene, Oregon. Um, and, And now it's coming here. And sure, there's a little bit less steam on this USC team. Well, there's like steam as in like, when something is dead and steam rises from it, I guess you could say. But you can't sleep on this team because there is obviously so much talent. There is one of the best college quarterbacks, maybe one of the best quarterbacks when it's all said and done uh, on that squad in Caleb Williams. Uh, plenty of playmakers, plenty of craziness that is can happen at any moment in the Pac-12. This is the end of the Pac-12, and I can't imagine there not being some kind of big shakeup. Uh, so I am still horrified of this team, that is for sure. And if you're not, maybe you're too young of a Duck fan. But uh, so to break this down, we of course have Hithliday of Addicted to Quack, the managing editor and film reviewer over there. How's it going, Hithliday? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good because, well, we survived the the Cal test, you know, that first quarter test. But now we have the one that obviously has been made a big deal, even with uh, a couple losses, you know. And I'm also excited because we get to talk to Alex Grinch also passed the Cal test. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Somewhat. Sure. He was there, you know. Eric Gentry Look, knocked down that two-point conversion to save <laughs> his job for one more week. For one more week. Well, it's like it was like he passed the test, but it was a group project and he was kind of <laughs> out sick, you know. But uh he still gets the credit for that one week. He gets all the credit for all the points Cal scored in that game. Uh we get to talk to a, a dear friend of this podcast, someone who every time I message them, I DM them on Twitter. I am proven wrong shortly afterwards because I remember us talking about, oh, I can't, uh, well, we're going to meet each other in, in last year's Pac-12 game. And then we we lost to the Beavers because I, I tweeted that like mid uh, at halftime when we had a lead, I believe. And then I said, well, uh, it's going to be our last Oregon USC game ever coming up. Well, no, we're both going to the Big Ten now. So I'm just going to maybe talk to this person less because I don't want to ruin everything, at least on Twitter. Because right now we get to talk, we are lucky enough to talk to Elisa de Ortola Castillo of the Reign of Troy podcast. How is it going, Alicia? It's going well. I, I don't want to talk to you less. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, just through DMs. I think that's a yes. cursed a cursed medium for me. It, uh, it cursed is. medium for a lot of people. Maybe, maybe the key is to not make any declarations when yeah. you're running me anymore. Or like wait till the game is over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say this. Um, you know, I'm I truly, I have no bullshit. I listen to Raina Troy just about every week. And uh, I, I've listened to it through the Clay Helton era, which was very entertaining as a Duck fan. And um, I've listened to now through the, you know, Lincoln Riley era. And it it's still great. And I, I've loved your most recent episodes, especially because these games have been so dramatic in a way. And uh, I just wanted to plug your great, great show with Michael Castillo because I've been a listener for years now. 
Oh, thank you. We we really really appreciate that. I think the the biggest compliment we ever get is when uh, uh, somebody who's not a USC fan likes the show, because uh, it mm -hmm. means we're we're doing something right. But uh, yeah, the last the last few weeks have been um a a, a bit of a strain. Uh, <laughs> we haven't had a lot of fun things to talk about. So uh, the the one thing we're looking forward to this week is like the very slim possibility that the stupidest outcome happens this weekend. <laughs> uh, and then maybe we'll have an actual like fun, fun car cast or, or podcast. Uh, but uh, more likely it's uh, we're just in a, we're in a state, we're in a state and we're, we're chugging along, but we, we got really used to doing that during the Clay Helton era. So we're pros, <laughs> we're pros at the uh, everything is terrible November. So I love, I love the car cast. I, I, I run 5k every Sunday and the, the car cast was, was my fuel for it, uh, during the Clay <laughs> Helton era. And, uh, and, and then that 2022 was no good for my waistline. I was like, I, I didn't have the, the fire that was necessary, but like, <laughs> oh man, this 2023, oh, it's been great. Uh, <laughs> uh boy, uh, you know, it, it's, yeah. it, this is like, well, tried territory and no pun intended uh you know that there's you know seems to be a, a lot of similarities in terms of like the uh the you know defense you know sort of over aggression and uh sort of you know the the team uh sort of management i sort of feel like i would not be the first person to observe hey sort of seems like more to the same here is that too easy or is, is that sort of spot on uh, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's spot on there. I don't, it's almost like the defense has been so bad that I, I, I agree that there, if we, if we point to an easy thing, it still doesn't make sense because like that, even, even it, even that doesn't make sense in the, in, in the sense of how does something fall apart this hard? How does mm. how does everything go wrong? And and the thing that really put that into perspective is that the defense had been over aggressive for the whole season. It had been sure. over complicated for the whole season. And the thing that changed against Washington is that you could argue it was under aggressive. It, they hmm. they went into the Washington game and were like, okay, we're just going to rush three and, and and drop eight and see how that goes and. 300 rushing yards later um it did not go well so it's like they like, I, I would say it's because they weren't trying anything new but then they come out in washington and they do try something different different and it's a catastrophe so there's there's nothing when this defense tries to be aggressive they're they're bad when they try not to be aggressive they're bad when they um when they play straight up, they're bad. When they play, you know, co do complex coverages and everything like that, they're bad. Just, there's, there's no redeeming factor for this defense. Uh, and it doesn't seem to be a you tried something and it failed kind of scenario. It's just at every single turn, everything has been wrong. Um, and that was our argument for, for firing Grinch at this point even though midseason firings rarely result in in actual sure. improvement on the field like i uh, something was deeply 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 broken with this defense and uh, over aggression was the answer for why that was the case i think earlier in the season 
but I don't know that that was the case against Washington and it didn't make a difference. I mean, yes, like uh, it, it is true, like overaggression is definitely a large explanatory factor and the defense is a large explanatory factor for, you know, the sort of the overall arc of USC season uh, so far. I think there's, you know, a lot more going on. Um, the, the, and uh, I, I don't know, I, I sort of, Alicia, for a long time during the Clay Helton era, you know, whenever I would, you know, there either USC would lose a game or they'd have a disappointingly close win. You know, uh, when I would read USC, you know, media, uh, you know, what I what I would get was was a lot of you know, wailing and gnashing of teeth and, and a list of like every possible thing that could go wrong in a football game. And I'd be like, you know, I just watched that game. Like half, like half of that stuff is on point, but the other half, like oh, that, that didn't even really happen. This is like clearly just emotional stuff, you know, and the stuff that I always enjoyed about uh, our conversations, Alicia is like, you know, that ain't you, uh, you know, that, that, that you really drilled down to, to, to uh, what I have always felt has been very, you know, fair and on point criticisms about, you know, what is actually going wrong um, under Clay Helton? Uh, l let me see, you know, if, if I can recapitulate some of those things uh, and you tell me how I'm doing. Um, the, the, the first I, I would say would be like, you know, recruiting misses. Um, in particular on the offensive line, uh, like offensive line management, uh, mm -hmm. in general, um, uh, number two, uh, would be sort of staff management issues, sort of, you know, sort of just having the wrong guys again, you know, offensive line is, is the like first and foremost, most obvious, but I, I sort of think it, you know, went up and down the entire staff. And then sort of number three would be like, uh, this is sort of a, a large category. We could, we could like subdivide it, but I'll, I'll just in the large category, be sort of like game day execution issues, like sort of just like players, not doing the thing that they're supposed to do, whether it be assignment errors, tackling, sort of not doing what they're supposed or like playing outside of their gap, trying to play hero ball, uh, you know, sort of the general category of like, that's not sound assignment football. Like, like when you watch a, 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 a like an academy, you know, team, you know, like one of the service academies and you're like, oh boy, those guys are, you know, those guys may not be the most talented dudes in the world, but they know exactly what they're supposed to do. And they do that and that only, and they trust their their teammate to do their job and they don't commit penalties and they don't, you know, do dumb stuff and they, you know, they play exact assignment football. And it's like, whatever that the opposite of that is, that's what I'm watching. I'm watching, you know, USC players under Clay Hilton. Uh, I'll stop there. Have, do you think that's a fair summary of like the Clay Hilton problems? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think those do, are. Do you think I missed something? Was there something else going on that? that describes the Clay Hilton problems? Um, I, I think that realistically what it all came down to with Clay Hilton was ultimately a lack of accountability um, from the top. And, and, and that that's just the umbrella under which all of those things that you named uh, sort of live under, because my sense with Clay Hilton was always that, very nice man who inspired um, a lot of uh, a lot of trust and loyalty and from players and coaches that worked for him, but n he never had the talent as an evaluator or a coach uh, to elevate a team, and then also didn't understand what he needed from anybody else around him 
or to how to hold them accountable for what he needed from them because he was just a nice mm -hmm. guy syndrome kind of kind of issue um so that that's sort of the only thing that that i would add to that is uh those are all a to me a function of clay hilton just simply not being not knowing what he needed to do to to create excellence and also uh and and then not feeding into the idea of not having accountability for when people weren't living up to sure standards so when when media figures and fans make the perhaps too easy comment that hey lincoln riley you're just you know clay helton with a a better haircut and, and <laughs> who doesn't know how to operate his his barbecue grill uh like how accurate do you think that is? Do you think that maps on like, or is it, it's, it's something else? I think I, I, you've hit on the thing that annoys me the most about the conversation around Lincoln Riley right now is, is literally on the show on Monday, we had somebody call uh, Lincoln Riley Hilton 2.0. And I'm just like, there it's a very different circumstance because if nothing else lincoln riley is extremely good at the job that he does in terms of running an offense in terms mm -hmm. of of having offensive su success in terms of developing quarterbacks who have success in terms of like having a team be able to um find ways to win games because they're so effective at that one thing that they do Clay Hilton was net like that was why Clay Hilton shouldn't have been hired as a head coach because he was never a good offensive coordinator in the first place. It's like, what was he good at? You he know? was not good at any like, yeah, he, the only thing he was good at was being a, a person, a being a good person, which, mm. you know, is 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 lovely, <laughs> lovely for him. But it was um, the Ted was, Lasso approach. kind of. Like, can yeah, a really but, nice guy change everything? Though? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like. <laughs> But uh, just to, to keep on with the Ted Lasso sort of metaphor, Ted Lasso had uh, like assistants who understood <laughs> what was needed um, and pushed back also when when, you know, things weren't going the way that they needed to go. And then that's where Clay never sort of had never had that moment. Um, the one area that I will give the Helton comparison when it comes to Lincoln Riley is the. Um, is the accountability thing the 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 question that i always ask about whether or not a head coach or a coach in general um is is able to be great is are they ruthless there is there has never been a head coach that has had sustained success without being ruthless because they have to number one be able to identify where things are going wrong and number two act upon it and hold people accountable and 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 uh and understand that this is not the level that's going to get them to where they need to go and then make the moves that correct that right and lincoln riley's inability to predict <laughs> which i didn't predict that alex grinch would be this bad so like i am sympathetic to it but lincoln riley's um willingness to stick with alex grinch through the cotton bowl for instance uh that's a big that 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 would be a helton-esque red flag um mm. the uh you know waiting until now waiting until after the washington game to to make the change uh in terms of a defensive coordinator that we could have told you weeks ago was just simply not 
the, the defense had not improved even slightly close to what the level it needed to do to justify him keeping his job. Like that's the, that's the closest to, to Helton 2.0 that, uh, that you'll come. But I also don't think that's a uniquely Helton thing. I think that's a coaching thing that is, that, that is far broader than, than Clay Helton. You see it across the country. People don't like to make changes. People don't, I mean, no one likes to fire anybody that sucks, especially when you like the person that you're firing. Like everyone wants to believe that if you just add this transfer here or that transfer here, or you get your own players that you're going to turn around and have success. So I'm sympathetic to that mindset. Um, but this is also why I continue to push the narrative that uh, Lincoln Riley is a relatively young coach who hasn't had to, this is one thing that Michael has, has been pushing for a while is maybe the worst thing about Lincoln Riley as a head coach is that he hasn't failed enough. Mm. He has been overwhelmingly successful, even when his defenses were terrible uh, at, at Oklahoma and, and they weren't this terrible at Oklahoma, but they were, they were costing, costing Oklahoma uh, games, but not all that often in the end. Uh, because he was able to produce offenses that could score 45 points, that could outscore teams in shootouts and get away with it week after week. And getting away with it is um, is a is a detriment to to yeah. a coach. And uh, that that the thing about um, the thing about Lincoln at this point is this is really the first time that he has failed or that his defense has has so actively um, cost him a chance to like win a conference title for, for instance. Uh, and that is, that is a mark of him not having had to learn that lesson yet, but that's not to say that he can't learn that lesson. And the thing that, the thing that uh, disqualified, you know, Clay Hilton in the end, Clay Hilton's first two seasons at USC were very, very good, but we came out of the cotton bowl in um, the, the cotton bowl against Ohio state funnily enough, cotton bowls are the ones that yeah. coaches are not learning their lessons from. We came out of that cotton bowl saying like, yes, USC won 11 games. Yes, USC won the Pac-12. But Clay Hilton doesn't seem to recognize where the gap between that and actually contending for a national title is and that changes should have been made after that. And the fact that they weren't made after that was a problem. And then he got his coaching career extended another five years. And every single year, there was another reason to say, well, he's not learning that lesson. Um, but for people to, to look at Lincoln Riley and say like, he's, he's hasn't learned that lesson. Well, like he hasn't necessarily had to learn that lesson yet. Like give him to me, it's give him time and space. Um, especially because he's earned far more time and space than Clay Hill never ever earned because he's actually yeah. quite good at offense. Yeah. And he certainly has a redeeming quality. I mean, I mean, I've said it, you know, qu quite a bit. Like I, 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 before Oregon played or, or was scheduled to play Oklahoma in the Alamo bowl and therefore was studying uh, Oklahoma's offense. I, I think we knew that Lincoln Riley was going to USC uh, and so like, this wasn't a blind statement that I made, but like, I, I was, you know, pretty well on record as saying like, I really dig, uh, Lincoln Riley's, uh, offense, the, the, the power RPO stuff, uh, like marrying the, the air raid, uh, passing system to, um, 
I mean, it's three or it's three different things, you know, none of which I, I would have thought would have worked together, but like he makes them work, which is cool is, you know, number one, it's an air raid passing tree. Number two, it's with RPOs, which Mike Leach never did. I don't know why people think they does that, that he did, but like, no, Mike Leach was never an RPO dude, but Lincoln Riley was like, yeah, we're going to do RPOs. And then number two, it's also like RPOs, but not a zone scheme. It's with a power scheme. It's like all these gap schemes, but then he does an RPO off of that, which like, I never would have expected that marriage to work. And then and he takes that marriage and then he polygamizes that with with an air raid passing concept instead of WCO stuff, which is like, oh, my God, it's like, oh, man, I could really geek out for like about two hours. In fact, I, I have with Brick 18 about it. Like, it's it's super cool. And like, yeah, it's definitely a redeeming factor. It's rad. And I've been I mean, literally almost all of the tape that Lincoln Riley has put out there for years, I've I've studied and I geek out about it. Literally every snap that Caleb Williams has taken, college player, I've studied. It's a great fit for it. And as a package deal, you know, those two are great too. Like they definitely get each other. And yeah, you know, to, to that extent, like, yeah, he ain't just like Clay Hilton with a better haircut. And so I definitely agree with you. And I, I think that is an interesting and probably correct point that like failure is a good educator. And yeah, it's sort of, you know, because of the way that he inherited Bob Stoops, Oklahoma program, like he kind of never had to. And, and uh, he sort of like was handed the keys to a blue blood two different blue blood programs, you know, and like never has to go through the that. And, and like, maybe this will sort of experience will be good. I, I think probably earning it the hard way is probably, or at least there's a good chance dumping him down to the G5 level or, or some dumb thing like that, or, or just saying like, well, why don't you just be an offensive coordinator? That's all you're good at or good for probably a mistake too. At least at this, at least at this point. And, yeah, and, yeah. and that's I mean, maybe where... down the line, it'll be, that'll, that'll wind up being the case, but I don't think that's a good idea right now. Like, yeah. No, and that's and that's where I where I bristle at the at the Helton sort of comparison because Helton wasn't even a G five level offensive coordinator. Yeah. <laughs> like I've, yeah, but, but, but yeah. The reason that I listed those thing things that as the specific like let's get specific about what was going wrong with Clay Helton is because I actually do think those are pretty apt things to identify with USC in, in, in 2023 in that I'll, I'll, i state him again. Like, uh, I, I think there had been, uh, uh personnel, uh, misfits, uh, in particular, uh, the offensive line. Now, part of that is inherited because when you're in an offensive line hole, like it just takes you five years to dig out. But like, mm -hmm. I, I'm just, I'm not necessarily saying that this. You're just stating all, the fact. I'm yeah. just stating that that I think yeah. I'm seeing in 2023. I, I think he's like held on to some assistance uh, too long. You know, I think everybody agrees with that. And I think when I watch this team, both offense and defense, I and by the way, that personnel stuff, uh, you know, that I was saying on, on point one, I think that applies not just to the defense of the offense as well. Like like the, uh, the wide receiver core, for example, I, I like I'm not seeing Marquise Lee and George Farmer out there. And the third point, you know, about like execution stuff, discipline stuff, knowing your assignment, like not playing like a service academy, like, man, I. I'm sort of hard pressed when I turn on this tape to see a difference, but like, a, like if I didn't know that was a Lincoln Riley team, I would sort of think that I was seeing a Clay Helton team in terms of like, guys, you know, quit dropping the ball, you know, literally and figuratively. Let me put that to you again. Is, is that really that unfair? 
I don't think it's unfair. No, I I think that you've already sort of hit on maybe the defense I would give on the offense of. I think it's very difficult for an offense to uh, to run as efficiently as possible when the offensive line has yeah has issues. And clearly this offensive line has issues. Although I will credit them with the catastrophic offensive line play that we saw against Notre Dame and mm. the week before against Arizona, by the way, as a, as a precursor to that, um, they have made a, a, a switch on the offensive line that has been, that has sort of stemmed that the offensive line still isn't elite necessarily, but they're not, uh, <laughs> they're not in a, a complete disaster like they were for a couple weeks there. So uh, they're working with, what they have and the the transfers that USC brought in were absolutely necessary because once USC lost the starters from last season who were all veteran um and also largely well recruited guys uh who had been around for 6 years <laughs> because of the covid year right uh once you lost those literally there was nobody viable yeah there was well zero. i mean that's clay helton you know like yes, that's, and that's, that's and the inherited problem yeah, and, and and I'm not sure there's any. Yeah, there's nothing they. The only thing they could have done about that is jump into the transfer portal and get who they could get, and they added guys that we felt were positives. And offensive line is always going to be a very difficult thing to evaluate, bringing in from somewhere else because that so much of it is is unit uh, unit yeah. based and fitting them together and then having them in the right spots. And I think you could accuse them of not having some guys in the right spots. Uh, like uh, Kingston, for instance, starting mm -hmm. putting him at guard. Well, they've moved him back out to tackle because clearly that's that's the oh, the, the better play there. Um, but the the offense line, there's only so much you can work with when, as you said, you were in a hole there. You're patching things up, anyways. Wide receiver, I think, is probably the biggest disappointment because we felt like they had addressed the issue of not having a clear number one guy when they added Dorian Singer and I still do not understand what happened there. I don't understand what happened with Mario Williams in terms of his development, because one of those two guys should be wide receiver one for USC. And instead it's Taj Washington, who I absolutely love. But the fact that Taj Washington is number one is USC number, wide receiver number one in terms of, of reliability and capability is a pretty is a is a is not a good sign uh yeah. considering um to me the difference between for instance like a like an ohio state or whatever yeah, right. is that well, when you I mean, have a when you have a guy like marvin harrison like he can take over a damn game yeah. and i don't i don't know that any of those guys are taking over a game or not having their reliability issues um blocking issues at wide receiver are also something that i think mm -hmm. is a is maybe not something that uh, fans will highlight as often, but is a massive, what is going on there for me with the wide receivers? Because USC has prided itself on having wide receivers be excellent blockers downfield um, in the past, last year, years past, and that is uh, helps the offense go. So yeah, I think there are absolute personnel criticisms on the offense um, that, come down to and these are things that lincoln actually to me has ex like should have a direct hand in solving and should uh, that that needs to be solved but still having said that having said all of those things about the the things about the offense that are just a tick worse than you expect them to be this is still the 
you know, number one, one of the top five offenses oh, in the yeah. country. And they're still sort of doing that, doing that work. So even with those step backs, even with those, this isn't as elite a group as you would hope, they're still sort of at a level that is ridiculously high for oh. being able to talk about the issues that they have. The the defensive side of the ball is it couldn't be a a a bigger sort of story on that front. And all connects back to the assistant coaching um, uh, sort of question. Because I can't even – I know people want to make this a personnel issue on defense. I can't even make it a personnel de- issue on defense. Yeah, there are maybe a few – there are weak links there. There are guys who, are, who, who aren't getting the job done. But, like, when everybody – when the full 11, all of them are doing that same thing where they're not where they're supposed to be. They're not doing the job that they're supposed to do. Uh, the, the, it comes down to the to the coaching, to the assistant coaching, to the decisions that were made uh, on that that sort of higher level. Um, so, I I feel like I'm rambling now, yeah. <laughs> not and not well, necessarily answering the question, but yes, I, mean, I, th- I think you're in a in a valid space. But but uh, I I guess what I would say is. Um, the Clay Helton of it all was uh, was in a in a similar similar mode, but far more to do, in my opinion, with the Clay Helton of it all. Where the in this case, I'm willing to give Lincoln Riley a, a little bit more of a pass because to me, it's the Alex Grinch of it all, which is ultimately Lincoln Riley's uh, responsibility, but. It is so much more clearly the Alex Grinch of it all to me. I mean, I'll well, let me put my cards on the table R- regarding the defense. Yes, definitely. I wrote, you know, my, my summer preview of USC had a pretty long defensive section in which I, you know, laid laid out exactly why it's Alex Grinch. Y- you know, y- you ain't got to convince me, <laughs> not even a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I do have some problems with the personnel. We'll talk about it when we talk about the personnel. But like, yeah, no, it's Alice Grinch. Uh, you know, ain't got to convince me at all. Um, the the and to the extent that we're talking about Lincoln Riley, uh, like, yeah, you know, you should wrap Lincoln Riley shins for not recognizing it. Um, you know, because he's the coach of the, you know, he's the head coach. You know, it's his his call, and he should have seen it. Like, I mean, I saw it, and and I'm paid a lot less than he is, and I have a lot less fidelity to USC than he does. Um, uh, well, maybe I don't. Anyway, uh, the, uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, but like that, that's not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to isolate like to what extent is the, um, are these different, you know, issues and, uh, you know, is there anything else going on? You know, and, and I think that you're probably right that there's not like it, it's just a matter of talented players are not in the right position uh, and they need to be, you know, put in a position to succeed and held accountable. And it always just sort of comes back to those you know, to, to those questions, you know, I, I have, I would have more confidence in Lincoln Riley, um, learning how to do that than Clay Helton. And so if the question is, should Lincoln Riley be fired? Like, no, I think that's a, a silly thing. 
like it was never really my question. I do have some questions about, I, I, I guess, you know, moving on from the is Lincoln Riley just Clay Helton question to like a, another maybe more pithier question, um, which is, uh, is some people have suggested it's just the defense. It's a hundred percent. The defense pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. The offense is a hundred percent fine. Uh, Alicia, are you of that opinion? No, no, because I think the offensive line, uh, I, the, the wide receivers, I have, I've already sort of said my piece about the wide receivers and, and it's a curiosity that I, I don't quite understand. Um, there's no Jordan Addison and and like that makes a difference mm -hmm. in in the end to me it's the the offensive line is a is a huge issue and it's a limiting factor with this offense and um it's it's one of the reasons why I go into the Oregon game skeptical that even if the defense puts up more of a fight let's say the the defense puts up more of a fight and holds Oregon to a hopeful 40 points um, knowing what Oregon's defense did against Washington, and, and I, I think it's extremely impressive what Oregon's defense did in a uh, you know in a loss, but still limiting that Washington offense to what was it, thirty five points. Mm -hmm. um, that I, I I think it's well within reason to say that there is a chance that Oregon's defense does something similar to USC's offense and holds them to something like thirty five points, because USC's offense is uh does have issues on the on the uh offensive line and has been exposed there by the better offensive lines that they have uh that they have played um you know the better defensive lines Notre Dame and Utah I would say are the best defensive lines that USC has, has faced this year and USC struggled to you know 32 points on Utah um and 20 points with a bajillion turnovers on on Notre Dame like I don't think you can ignore those things so that was always going to be a limiting factor for an offense that every single year Lincoln Riley should step into the you know step into the season expecting his offense to be able to contend even against the better d defenses that they play and the fact that they have been limited in those games says that the offense isn't free of free of some blame here whether it's Caleb Williams falling into the trap of playing hero ball, mm. which is understandable because he knows he has to put up 50 million points because of the defense that's opposite him, but that gets him into trouble and not reeling him in earlier in the season, uh, I think uh, caused, uh, continues to, to cause some problems. The offensive line is a huge step back, understandably a step back. I mean, what we've talked about with the hole that like, Clay Helton left there, but still, the personnel decisions that were made there, it, just in terms of the 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 layout of that offensive line, call something into question. This offense isn't perfect, and that's and that is the thing that we talked about going into the season. Is USC put themselves in a position where the offense had to be perfect right. in order to win every game, especially the big games, and they are not perfect, and uh, and that's ultimately why USC is is not looking at a, uh, at a college football playoff berth here because when it came down to it, USC needed its offense to elevate it in much of the same way that they did last year. Right. The, the run and that USC the same, has, it's the same equation as it was last year. And, and the, the difference and is the variable is it's a, 
Yeah, it's. I actually think the defenses from last year and this year looks pretty much the same. And Alex French, I don't want to say he's a scapegoat because he 100% deserves it, but it's like actually what the difference is is the and and the defense is definitely the the way more intolerable thing. But if you want to find where a difference is between 2022 and 2023, is it's the offense. Mm-hmm. The, the offense is. I mean, as you know, I I chart. I chart all the games. I have completed charting all of the the offensive snaps. I, I I haven't completed the defensive charting of the Washington game yet, but um, but but I have uh, I have done the offensive side of the Washington ball. So I've got all of USC's offensive snaps uh, at this point. Um, it's the offense that's fallen off. Actually, the defensive snaps are are almost identical. In fact, it's slightly better on on the uh, defensive pass efficiency. Um, but offense, it's fallen off. It's about five percent points worse in um in a pass efficiency like pass success rate yardage and explosiveness is the same on the pass and then rushing it's about uh five percentage points worse and uh and like a yard per play worse and four percentage points in explosiveness you know in in an explosive run rate like runs of 10 plus yards or greater four percentage points worse and you know what it was way worse um before the washington game but they murder pants washington on the run Holy crap did they destroy Washington with the run and then just ch- and then just chose not to anymore. Well, yes, okay. I just didn't run the ball in the second half because this I think reasons. is a substantial criticism that can be made of Lincoln Riley's play calling. 1 um, million percent, yes. Um and I mean we talked about it over the summer like you and I were way out ahead of a whole lot of other people oh. being like, you know, everybody loves on Lincoln Riley as well they might, but like dude, I mean, we were talking about it those 2022 play calling was the, there was a bunch of games that were like closer than they should have been in 2022 like the Arizona game and there were a couple others of just like Lincoln on the ball you idiot like mm-hmm. you know and um and here here's another one um like if you uh, drill down into the um the down and distance situational um so uh uh, uh um okay okay in uh in th- on third downs usc in both 2022 and 2023 is uh very uh predictable um it's on third and short uh uh, they run the ball at a very high rate uh, on third and medium and third and long. They pass the ball at a very high rate. That's true in 2022. And that's true in 2023. That's true of lots of teams, you know, whatever being predictable on third down is, is true of lots of teams. It is also the case in both 2022 and 2023 that in short yardage situations, uh, uh, USC runs the ball very well. Uh, like, like 84, you know, 75% success rates. Like if it's short yardage, USC is going to run the ball and they're going to be successful uh, running the ball. That's fine. Um, Here's what's different. In 2022, uh, second downs uh, uh, were quite different. In in 2022, you couldn't predict what USC was going to do on second down. It was all over the map, highly unpredictable, whether it was going to be run or pass, what type of run it was going to be, what type of pass it was going to be. He, he might as well have been, you know, throwing darts at a dartboard in order to predict, or at least I couldn't crack it. I tried to run a regression on it and couldn't crack it. Like he had me beat. Um, and, you know, very high success rates. Um, in 2023, here's what changed. It be, it, their second downs look like their third downs. Where if it's short yardage, they run, they're successful, but they it's predictable. Uh, and if it's medium or long yardage, they pass. 
it's like second down becomes like third down. And what that's done is that it's killed their efficiency. Like they, they're that they become inefficient on in, in 2023 on medium and long yardage in second down because teams know what's happening. Um, and, and, and furthermore on third and long, it's completely collapsed third and long. Their passing efficiency in 2022, uh, was 43%, which I mean, obviously it'd be nice if that were above water but 43 percent is not an unusual number but you know third and long is a hard it's, it's a hard down in in 2023 it's 24 percent they've collapsed by 20 points in uh success rate on third and long that's the i mean that's it man that's the problem with the offense they've gone from being a fairly reliable team that would convert on third and longs you know about or a little less than half the time to a team that like is only converting about a quarter of the time on third and longs and they're getting knocked off the field and remember like usc is playing you know no fcs teams like they're going down to the wire in a lot of games is a huge sample size that i'm talking about like that's it man it's it's a predictable offense that's different from 2022 and they're getting knocked off the field and this is play calling yeah Ugh. okay yeah no you are and, I, and one, my one rant. Million, i'm sorry I, for ranting so much no i love that though because you sort of put into into the sort of stats what has been an, an observation throughout the season is that um and and I don't know if I I like your second down stats there because I had been sort of bumbling around in my head about whether or not it was just did Caleb Williams just have you know was he just on a heater uh, on third downs last season and this is regressing to the mean uh, and uh, and and that might may explain why USC is less efficient on third down uh, across the board in, in my view but. The second down thing is is a really strong indicator that it's that USC is putting itself in worse positions on third down more often yeah. because of the second down efficiency. Yeah. And and I 100% agree with you that that it's and this is the stupid thing about this team. The stupid thing about this team is that their defense is giving up 30 34.5 points per game and is liable to give up 50 points on any given any given Saturday. And yet if this team committed to running the ball slightly more they probably beat utah they probably beat washington uh and uh and and miraculously this this game between oregon and usc is coming up uh with college football playoff uh implications sort of on the line I, I on, mean, on yeah, the line I, I sure hope lincoln riley doesn't listen to this podcast they are passing at a 49 percent efficiency rate I mean, when they connect, it's good because it's like 8.8 .8 yards per attempt and uh, like 19.5% explosiveness rate, but still underwater in terms of efficiency, you know, a lot of incomplete passes, but their rushing efficiency rate is 58.5%, like near championship uh, uh, yeah. success rate and 6.8 yards per carry, 21.5% explosiveness rate. Like this is a lethal rushing offense like uh it's less lethal than it was in 2022 but i mean 2022 was bonkers and they had travis die uh yeah. like but yeah. there's no reason uh, i think the only the only major difference to me between uh travis die and marshawn lloyd in terms of 
uh, being just an absolutely monster running back is that uh, Lloyd is just more unreliable in terms of ball security, yeah. which yeah. is not a it's not a small thing. But uh, I mean, but, ball security is not really what goes into this calculation. But no, like, but but the but the, in term in terms of trusting trusting the handoff, trusting to just say, okay, we're just gonna we're just gonna run it down your throat and and convince that that it's okay for us to to hand the ball off uh, in in any given on any given play. Uh it feels like there's less trust in this rushing offense and and even worse trust is revoked at the first possible sign of of oh, yeah. uh, of trouble. This is uh, Michael and I have talked about this so many times. It's like USC will run the ball incredibly well, but the first time that they get stopped, the first time that the defense puts a stop on that run that's it revoke uh, the the trust in the run game has been revoked no more running for the rest of the game yeah. and uh and that's what was a little bit different about the cal game the reason usc beats cal is because in that fourth quarter usc just uh, just is like okay fine we're just gonna marshawn lloyd it's the marshawn lloyd show and marshawn lloyd repays that trust with going absolutely bonkers and that is something that uh, that that's extremely frustrating when you when we've seen examples of that happening. We've seen the run game be uh, be incredibly effective, and also we've seen and and we know just from you know from experience, whatever that when your offensive line is struggling to pass block the way that USC's offensive line has struggled at times this season, offensive linemen love when you say just go out and go out and, and, and pound the rock. Like yeah. we've, we see across the country in, in NFL college everywhere that when you, sometimes you can just reinvigorate your offensive line by, by giving them that we're just going to run downhill now. And, uh, yeah, and you can build some confidence in them, you know, like build. Yeah. Like yes. And, and USC, that you trust them. Yeah. And USC has, has declined to do that. And there's a, I, I think there's a, there's a reason for that is you, you have the the Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback, and you're you put a lot of faith in him. And I and I get the temptation to do that, but I think that too much faith has been put, too much onus has been put on on uh, Caleb Williams across mm -hmm. the board to be the thing that drives uh, to th that drives this offense, which does not need to be the case. This is the the conversation that Michael and I are having every single week with people who come in and ask questions about how like USC's screwed when Caleb Williams leaves, and it's like. Well, no, that's not the case because like Lincoln Riley's offenses are always uh, are, are always this effective regardless of what quarterback has changed. He's had generational quarterbacks. He's had former walk ons. He's had every this, that and the other thing. And uh, and and the, the quarterback doesn't have to be the end all be all Superman of this offense. The, this offense is capable of being incredibly effective, even with a quarterback that's not the number you know the number one generational nfl prospect that you, i, I can actually see this offense being more uh more effective with the quarterbacks who's like takes it down a notch like just one notch but like well, uh, caleb caleb has gotten significantly better uh in the past couple of weeks just because he's taking check downs now or and just like he was, play within the structure of the offense. Yeah. Like, yeah. why did you hide, hire Lincoln Riley? Like, because the structure of his offense is really good. You know, like, you yeah. don't need a second offensive coordinator. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's it, it's difficult. Like, I, I don't think it's as, as, like, I understand why this, 
why this kind of thing gets gets trending in that direction. Uh, but you need Lincoln Riley to step in and and um, you don't want to handcuff Caleb Williams, but you do need to step in and and um, make sure that he is playing within the within the offense. And ultimately, it will be better for Caleb Williams as a quarterback if that's what you're doing. And running the ball is part of that. And one of the things that you know I've had partial suspicion of with the the run game is that the RPO of it all is is part of the, I mean, it's a great, great uh, aspect of this offense, but it's also partly part of the problem because you're putting the decision in the, in the hands of the quarterback who is going to call his own number uh, more I've often heard that I've heard that as sort of a, a rumor or something that like it, it could be a run read or it could be a run call or something. And, and Williams just says, nah, I want to pass it. Which you put any stock in that. I don't know that I put stock in that he's that the that there's a run call and he's just choosing not to. Um, but I would argue that whether or not that is true, maybe Lincoln should be creating more run calls and just mm -hmm. saying, no, you're just going to run the ball. And if he doesn't do that, then uh, then you have to have that conversation. And, and as a coach, you have to come to him and explain why you need to be willing to to hand that ball off. And I think there are points where it feels like that conversation has been had and that the handoff is, is, uh, is, is trusted more often. And you see USC run the ball incredibly effective uh, because of it. But um, I'm also, I, I'm, I think there's a lot of rumors that can be spread that are um, convenient to try and paint, uh, yeah. paint somebody as like, a diva when it's just when it's also just like he's a quarterback uh, who calls his own number. This is my complaint about freaking half of USC's offensive coordinators the, over the last few years, former quarterbacks who lean on the quarterback because like, of course they're, they, they, uh, they, they fall into that trap. Yeah. of. I mean, I'm just like, I'm just looking at the numbers and I'm trying to like, tr I'm trying to figure out a number one, I, I will simply observe there is a disparity. Mm -hmm. Number two, the disparity has, or, or, or there, there's a mismatch here, and it, it has grown since 2022. In in 2022, the uh, the rushing efficiency versus passing efficiency disparity was 8.3 percentage points. Like the the rushing was 8.3 percentage points better than the passing efficiency, which is, I mean, Alicia, that is bonkers. Like yeah. that is, that is an enormous <laughs> amount. And yet they were passing the ball 61% of the time, which is, you shouldn't do that. Like that's, you know, that that's a mismatch in, in 2023, the disparity has grown. It is now 9.3%, you know, difference. And they are passing the ball 63 and, you know, like mm -hmm. it's, it's even more, you should be running the ball and they are running the ball even less. So, you know, that is the sort of like central fact of that. I, you know, I, like, I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not interested in trying to figure out who's a diva, like, uh, yeah. you know, or what I'm just trying, like the central fact is this team should be running way more. And it's not the fact that they're not has gotten like worse since since 2022. I'm trying to figure out if that's going to persist to Saturday. Uh, and so therefore, I'm trying to figure out why the, the those conditions might 
B. Got to guess. Well, well, you can you can tell me because uh, I have not done a, a deep dive into into organ yet. But mm. um, looking at just the raw numbers for Oregon's rushing defense, they look pretty damn good. Ninety, what is it? Ninety-seven yards uh, per game, three point two five yards per carry. Uh, like I said, USC has a problem where if they get stopped. They just say, "Oh well, okay, we're not running the ball today. Like that's that's that. We mm-hmm. we aren't going to be able to run the ball." Um, are those numbers that I that I'm seeing just raw numbers from Oregon? Is that is that real? Is that is the rushing defense that good? Because if that's the case, then USC will continue to not run the ball because they they will either have been stopped and choose not to. Well, well, I guess the most likely outcome here is that even if USC was able to run the ball on Oregon, which given the state of the offensive line is still a question because they're inconsistent, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um, if Oregon doesn't, doesn't give them uh, an opening to, to say, Oh no, we can run the ball. We're just going to keep running the ball. Then USC is not of a mind to say, it doesn't matter if you stop us once we're going to, we're going to try twice or three times or four times. Uh, Oregon's rush defense is not an illusion. Uh, I guess I'll put it that way. It, the, they don't, they do not give up significant yardage. They do not give up explosive runs. Their worst quadrant of football is efficiency runs. Like they're only 58% on a defensive success rate. So like you can get a couple of yards against them, but you're just only going to get a couple of yards. And so like, I I wouldn't want Oregon to play Navy, you know, or air force Mm -hmm. or something like that, but it's kind of sounds like what you're saying is that like USC wouldn't, (laughs) wouldn't be, wouldn't be that. I'm just not banking. I'm, I, I simply would not bank on USC forcing the issue mm. is is what I would say, which is probably something that USC needs to at least try to do. And it would be the most, the, I mean, USC from the, from the numbers, from what they're good at, the team that, 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 that USC ought to emulate is air force. If USC tried to play air forces, like st- I'm not saying their offense, but like their like game plan, their like style of play, they would be, destroying everybody the fact that they're trying to play like wazoo yeah (laughs) is a problem is a problem (laughs) yeah Yeah. it is and like oh man i i should have said this at the top like usc is the number five offense like you know what we're talking about is why they're not the number one offense yes and that's that's the weird again it comes down to the, the the weird thing about talking about this usc team is I think it's perfectly acceptable to hold Lincoln Riley to an extremely high standard on the offensive side of the ball uh, because that is the standard that he has set. His offenses are of that nature that if you are not the number, if you are not the number one offense in the country, there's a re- there's something that you're doing wrong because that's the, what he's sort of proven to be capable. Of. And this isn't a you don't have the quarterback for it kind of the when you when the the Spencer Rattler year which is still like Spencer Rattler is the worst quarterback in the Lincoln Riley stable of quarterbacks is pretty stupid um but like that's that's sort of the 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 issue is you you do have the reigning Heisman Trophy winner you did go out and get a running back that uh 
took about two weeks to convince me that he is the greatest USC running back of all time. Uh, oh, just, wow. Uh, hi, That's hi, saying know, My favorite, uh, hyperbolically, uh, I, I'm not I'm not silly, but like in terms of running backs that I have watched carry the football, mm. I don't get as much joy. I get I get I get a, a degree more joy watching Marshawn Lloyd just run the ball like he just like in 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 the same way that Travis Dye made me happy whenever he had the ball in his hands I just enjoy the way that this the style and the running like that's Marshawn Lloyd to me and you couldn't have replaced Travis Dye with a with a more capable running back when it comes to that so um the, the fact that USC doesn't have an offense that uh somehow overcame the truly horrific defense is is USC's offense taking a step back and I think it's totally valid to ask those questions of, well, yeah uh, and of why and, and I mean it's just the high wire act that USC you know with a defense like this mm-hmm. you know and you know an offensive line and, and some of the other things that like that that USC needs games to go in a certain way because if they don't like it falls apart um and so like yeah you know the offense kind of like it needs to be number one you know now if it's operating like the number one offense like it's the scariest team in college football they'll run you out of the building um it's just that like it it could also not operate that way and then it's like the the the, the heartbreak happens you know and mm-hmm. so, you know, that's why we've been spending all this time talking about it when it's like, hey, guys, why aren't you talking about this, you know, defensive coordinator who got fired in the world's worst defense? It's like, well, that stuff's obvious, you know, it, like, it's just bad. Yeah, the, the defense is just bad. Like there's I, as as we've been saying, like the only interesting thing about the defense this week is whether or not uh, I mean, I do have questions like, about it, but like, yeah, but yeah, but yeah. like it, the, the questions are are they're not going to necessarily be the thing that impacts the game. If it turns out that the defense is the thing that wins the game for USC against Oregon, that is a well, well, who, stunning. Who cares? We'll all be dead of heart attacks. We'll yeah. All be, we'll have to <laughs> scrape us out of our houses with yeah. know, dump trucks. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah well, suffice it to say, USC does not win a game against Oregon 36 to 33. That is is what I'm very very confident. Yeah, I mean, in. It seems unlikely. Yeah, I mean, not not in stadium. It seems like. Let's talk a little bit about personnel. You, you know what? We we've talked enough about the wide receivers. I think it, I, I I don't need you know quite a rundown. Um, it it has been, it it has been interesting. You know, the Dorian Singer thing. I I agree with you with. Um, you know, Brent, Brendan Rice, we were, we were sort of dumping on a little bit. I I think he's he's played a little better than I was expecting him to. He's un. Uh, I I I don't I I don't want it to seem like I I will dump on Brendan Rice because Brendan Rice has ten touchdowns. Like that yeah. is more than than even the best USC receivers of the last decade have have had, except for I think Bar One. Um, he has been an incredible target for USC, but he is not the go-to guy in the offense. And I don't think we would have ever expected him to be the go-to guy in the offense. Um, he, what he does apart from the reliable one drop a game mm-hmm. issue, which he had sort of gotten away from and is, is kind of back into it. And that's frustrating. But aside from that, like I have, I have very few complaints about Brendan Rice's impact on this offense. He, he pops up 
with touchdowns when you need him to pop up for touchdowns. And having a red zone threat like Brendan Rice has been a, a, a huge boost to USC. Um, so Brendan Rice is not the wide receiver that I'm looking at as as one who is not rising to the occasion the way that they need to. I'm very squarely sort of targeted on Mario Williams and Dorian Singer uh, as as a because because sure. I've seen I've seen Mario Williams be that guy before. I don't know why he's not that guy now. It is. I mean, it is kind of baffling. Uh, yeah, uh, but I mean. I guess I'll put like Adam uh, on a previous podcast sort of characterized it in a way that I liked. Like I, I'm not sure that I see a wide receiver in this room that's like that is a uh, mistake eraser. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, or or uh, to put it a different way, like I don't see a guy who's uncoverable. You know, mm-hmm. like you know, one of the things as an Oregon fan, you know, that you always dreaded about playing USC was that like you could do everything right on the defense, but they always had at least one dude, you know, a Marquise Lee or a Drake London, or hell, if they didn't have it, they'd just go buy him, like Jordan Addison, who was like, I god damn it, you just mm-hmm. can't cover that dude. I feel like, and Alicia, please tell me if you disagree, like if I miss somebody, and maybe it's Zachary Branch. Um that it's like, oh man, you, you can't cover that dude on the 2023 team. Is there uh, such a dude? It's not Zachary Branch at, at this point. Um, it, it may be in the future. It may be, yes. I think that is the trajectory that you hope for. At this point, Zachary Branch is just such an incredible athlete with the ball in his hands that um, it's not necessarily about like he's uncoverable, but if you can get the ball to him, he will. He's he's very dangerous, but that's not to say that he you can always get the ball to him reliably. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no one, no one to this point has been that guy. And USC needed Dorian Singer to be that. I mean, this is why Dorian Singer got brought in because I don't know, maybe that yeah. was a flash in the pan, but that game against the against Arizona Mm -hmm. he he was covered and he caught everything that was coming his way and and the one I mean he was playing against an Alex Grinch defense Alicia I mean this is this is true this is big facts (laughs) but he also like he did that he did that in other games he was a a a productive receiver if nothing else and the, the lack of production is what doesn't make a lot of sense to me when it comes to to Dorian Singer but uh Dorian Singer Mario Williams um you know, I, I think that USC in a, in a perfect world would have had someone like Kyron Hudson or Michael Jackson the third show mm-hmm. the potential to, in the absence of those two guys making plays, it would be nice if Michael Jackson or Kyron Hudson sort of said, okay, fine, it's me then. Um, but I don't know if either of those guys are... Or and maybe I love, one of these true freshmen who are like out of this world talents, like, we're, you know... McKay well, Norman I mean... Or- Against Washington, we see Deuce Robinson for really the mm-hmm. first time uh, against uh, yeah. a real competition get get run, and he makes freshman. <laughs> you know, he yeah. he drops a big pass, and yeah. uh, and you know they go back to him later. So it's sort of nice to see that they're phasing him in. But he certainly, I guess, the problem is the true out of this world talents that USC has in that group right now are the true freshmen who realistically just don't seem to be in a, in a place yet where they can be that guy. It's often true uh, of, of true freshmen, like, a, yeah. you know, uh, for, for wide receivers, like it's, uh, you know, it, it, it is, it, it is often the case that the, that, that like, they're very exciting their first year, but you, you know, you want them in garbage time and then it's like, it's the next year. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. The, I don't think that that's really like, you know, when I said, Hey, where's Makai Lemon? I wasn't trying to knock Makai Lemon. I'm just yeah. saying that like, it, it just, well, I think we, he's, we just haven't seen it, you know, like, I think he's injured actually. So oh, like, really? that's the other thing is uh, that that's the other thing with Zachariah Branch, unfortunately, is mm -hmm. maybe he, maybe in a world where he didn't pick up that injury earlier in the season, maybe he's closer to that having had the game time, you know, those, the, that chunk of games that he missed, maybe he's a little bit further along in, in, in the development trust and, and game, game breaking ability on offense. Uh, but he was, he missed, he missed yeah. those games. Um, he was apparently like to my eye, slow to come back when he did get back in the game uh, after that injury. And, uh, and USC has been, been missing a game breaker, at a, a wide receiver aside from Taj Washington, who, who is, who has been that yeah. guy, but like but, I, I mean, said, he's the, he's the possession receiver. Yes. Like it's just sort of bonkers that, it, that this, although it makes sense, you know, when sort of you understand it, it's like, yeah, you know, he's the possession receiver who sort of like if anybody who's stepped up, like, yeah, he's like, well, I guess I'll do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, uh, uh, but he's the only one who gets consistently wide open in, yeah. in, in that sense of, of uncoverable, uh, kind of, uh, but kind even of that. I, I sort of think, at least you tell me if you disagree with me, I sort of think that's because a lot of defenses expected him to just be the possession receiver guy. And so we're only covering him with that type of route. And maybe defenses might be cluing into that. They're like, Oh, he's going to run it deep now. Like we never expected him to do that. And yeah, you know, uh I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know that he is doing, I don't know that he is breaking those plays because of some elevated talent or ability. I think he's a, he's a very reliable veteran receiver who understands, uh, who, who understands how to run a route, how to trick a, trick a defender into, you know, uh, biting on something and then, mm -hmm. and then burning him. And, uh, and he's, he goes out there and just makes, makes the plays uh but like you need like, i don't know why mario williams isn't because like, mario williams should be doing the same things and he's just yeah. he's just got more it ability is, like god-given ability than taj washington it is a theoretically baffling. does like I, I really i i don't have an explanation but I, like i i'll i'll just back you up like it's it's apparent on film I'll, like i i don't i don't get it but it's true yeah. the last thing i want to ask you about it with the skill talent is Number one, boy, there are a shit ton of completely unproductive screen passes in this <laughs> offense, like a lot of which are sort of unproductive. Like, I can't believe that's the read. It's like two over two. Like, how could this possibly succeed? And then it's even more spectacularly unproductive because it like the block was just a terrible block by, you know, by the wide receiver. Mm hmm. Are you observing the same thing? Like, where's yes. the wide receiver blocking? I, I Yes, you are you are preaching to the choir on both fronts of that. There are screens that USC runs that we look around and think like in even in a even in a perfect world, what were you expecting to get out of that screen? Because there was a defender that so now you just you're you're living on the concept of you, the wide receiver has to I'm, break a tackle or two in order to gain three yards or four. I mean, it's not, they, their their screen pass success rate is 30%. Like what doesn't make sense too is that last year the thing that we were the revelation of last year one of the many Lincoln Riley actually runs a good offense revelations from last year was damn USC can hit a tunnel screen like damn USC is running these so well damn these are so effective 
And it's like, I don't, I don't know if, if uh, the blocking has just taken such a step back that any attempts at those plays are just blown up. And so they go in the, uh, in the negative category in terms of the, the screens that uh, are otherwise uh, identical to last year, although it feels like we're just seeing less of those personally. Um, but the, yeah, the wide receiver blocking has been, has been um, definitely taken, taken that step down. Uh, and that is one where, you know, m- more disappointment for me in, in guys like Mario Williams and Dorian Singer, because like, if those guys are going to be on the field, like the least they can do is break some of those, uh, break some of those screens open with their, with their blocking. And they, they are not getting that job done. And maybe this is where USC misses somebody like Kyle Ford. Um, but he's really, or, or Terrell Bynum, um, who mm-hmm. wasn't super pr- productive in terms of Bynum uh, through a block, man. Yeah, he could, he could throw a block. So is it maybe just the absence of Terrell Bynum and Kyle Ford? I, I think that's probably taking it a step too far because it's not like Mario Williams, uh, wasn't out there blocking to a degree that wasn't making me sit there and go like, my God, he can't block. Uh, but, uh, it it it's it's a, it's a, it's a curiosity i i'm i have observed it yes and i am not happy about it right. okay offensive line yeah 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 so all right first let me recapitulate that in the off season they had three main dudes that they were uh, returning that we were expecting to see playing time they had jonah monheim uh who we figured would play one of the tackle spots they had uh mason murphy who we figured would play one of the tackle spots or maybe be a sixth man and they had justin didich who we all figured would play the center they got three transfers they got uh emmanuel pregnon from wyoming who we all figured to be the left guard they got michael tarquin from florida who we all figured to be one of the tackles and they got Jarrett Kingston um, from Wazoo. Kingston had been the left tackle at Wazoo where he sucked, but we, we figured, oh, he's going to be a guard at USC. So maybe that'll be fine. So I'll, I'll pause. I got all that right, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, and, and just, just to add in USC also did recruit um, Ethan White from Florida, who was expected oh. to be in the mix there as competition, and then he medically retired. So oh. that was oh. one that USC missed out on um, that, you know, it, what transfers are a crapshoot a little bit, yeah. you know, you, you might hit on some and miss on some, but I don't think it's, it's, uh, I think it's worth mentioning that USC had another guy that theoretically they were hoping to rely on. And ultimately that just uh, the roll of the hmm. dice didn't work out there. I- wasn't he wasn't even on my sheet didn't even know yeah. about that guy yeah. okay um so uh Dietrich has in fact been the center uh got that one right um uh monheim uh was one of the tackles uh, although we got which spot wrong it turned out he was flipped over to be the left side mm-hmm. um pregnon uh was in fact uh the left guard uh, and has been I-, I believe every single snap here's where it gets weird Tarquin, the Florida guy, right tackle, Kingston, right guard, and Mason Murphy, the returning tackle, have formed this like menage a trois that have been like rotating. And it's not just like 
Tarquin and Murphy switching back and forth at right tackle. It's been, they do that. And then Kingston will switch between guard and tackle. And guess what? He still sucks at tackle. <laughs> um, so like, I, you know, okay. So this was the pattern through the Cal game. Guess what? The right side of the line has problems. I mean, there's the left side, but like Pregnant is fine. Dietrich, for as much as I liked him more than uh, what's his name, uh, Nealon. I don't know. He's still getting run over. Like anyway, the like the left side has been better than the right side. I think for sort of obvious reasons. And then the Washington game rolls around. Alicia, I don't understand what happened in the Washington game. Can you explain it? Um, I, I think that, that, uh, they, there had, there had been sort of the move to flip Kingston, well, to, to flip Murphy back in at guard and Kingston out at tackle. And maybe it was just that they committed harder, like that they just sort of said, okay, we're, we're not going to, we're not going to shuffle guys around anymore. We're just going to, going to go for it. But so are they like are they done with Tarquin? I think they might be done with Tarquin. I mean, maybe I, it's who knows. I don't know. Uh, um, I could not say necessarily on on that front, but it's possible they just they they finally settled in on the five that they like. Do, you know, do, do nine you like, ten weeks into the season. <laughs> do you like Murphy at guard and Kingston at tackle? Uh, I like Murphy at guard better than i like kingston at guard hmm. so in that regard it seems like a, a worthwhile change to me this is also another another area where the the one of the what ifs of the season which is, is such a yeah w weird what ifs but uh gino canones redshirt senior guard that usc yeah i don't um, think i've seen him at all he got injured in the oh. second season ending injury in like the second second week oh i didn't know that which limited again and this is where i meaning I, the first week because they played a week zero right yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah this is this is the difficulty with with evaluating what usc has done on the offensive line because when i say that the options are not there are no options yeah. i mean that there are no options and gino canones was theoretically an option for usc uh at guard that usc seemed to be willing to 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 be building a lot of trust in uh as as a a, a guy who i think i never really expected a ton from so i'm not i'm not out here saying that this was the the, the game changer for usc's offensive line but i do think that USC would have liked to have had the option of if things weren't going well with Kingston or Murphy or Tarquin to be able to say, okay, fine, we'll go with Canones and Murphy mm -hmm. as right guard and right tackle. And that would have been potentially a, well, let's see how that goes. And maybe the results are different. I'm also open to the idea that USC could have had him available and he could have been just as bad as everybody else on that, on that yeah. side of the line anyways. But uh, the fact that they don't have him is another option that they, that they are so limited in their options in those spots that's like, well, you have to persist with Kingston at tackle because he's literally your only option, except for Tarquin, who has been, yeah, who, who has been to a point unplayable at times. So, 
I don't know. None of what I uh, am going to say or, or have said, you know, goes to like a, a sort of like USC's coaching staff should be indicted for mismanaging this room because I don't think there is a good way to manage the situation that they inherited. Offensive line is like you were you were buried by what happened five years ago. Like it's and, uh, you know, is one of the things that we talked about in the summer is that, you know, I've been tracking this since 2018 when the transfer portal came into existence. Like I, I just don't and 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 uh, the data has been very clear that, you know, portal based offensive lines like are, are not they eventually they may become successful when the guys have like been on the team long enough to sort of become integrated into the team. But in the first year, they just don't like, if you're playing more than one, it's just, it doesn't work. Like, like it's, it's a very clear correlation. The more first year portal based offensive linemen there are on your line, the worse they play. It's just a a factor of like team gelling and cohesion, I think. And like, Mm -hmm. Um, and like the, you know, the one thing that portal offensive linemen rob you of is time, you know, time together. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's one of the things I remember we talked about over the summer is that I, I, you know, I was going to have my eye on USC really closely because there was one team that was going to, that you know, provide really good, you know, maybe perhaps a counter example to this because they got them early, right? They got, you know, Tarquin and Kingston really early in the cycle. And then Pregnon was like a really, 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 really promising, you know, guard. And then, you know. I I guess I'll put it this way. It has not really provided a counterexample to the theory. Like, uh, no, I think, I think you're, you're absolutely, I I buy into, to your theory. The, the more, the more I experience, uh, just, uh, the, the, the intricacies of the transfer portal and, and who hits and who doesn't and, and all of that, like it's already, it's already a gamble. Anytime you bring somebody in that they will fit your team, your, your locker room, your scheme, all of that kind of stuff. But on the offensive line, I feel like that gamble is elevated to a, to a degree where it's no longer like a 50 50. Like it's it, it just very, the data is extreme, like, you know, yeah. very, you know, very big data set, you know, on this. And it's just extremely clear at this point that like, you gotta, it's gotta be homegrown. Your, your offensive mm-hmm. line has to be homegrown. Or if you're going to tra- take transfer guys, it, it's, it's just, it's like a red shirt freshman, except they're older, you know, you, yeah. you got to stick them on the bench and, uh, and, and train them up a year or like integrate them for a year, um, before you can play them. Um, or at least multiple guys. And anyway, like, so, so, like I said, you know, I, I actually, I, I, I like the recruiting class, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Paige and Talalele and, and, and Banuelas and, and Noah and Raymond, like, I actually think this is, you know, but it's like, this ain't going to pay off to like 2026. And that's, you know? and that's, you can't, you can't, this is, this is the impossible position USC was in. Like, Elijah Page and, and Alani Noah got some playing time early in the season and it was like, okay, good. Like, we, we want to see them come through, but, you cannot expect any yeah. of those guys to be ready to go yeah, yeah, now yeah, and to play not. at a championship level. Yeah, it's just not yeah. how things work. Yeah. So like none of this goes to, to yeah. like what's USC going to do in, you know, on Saturday and none of this goes towards, you know, Lincoln Riley, shame on you. You had a better solution and you're not doing it. I mean, I, I, yeah. I do think that on some other questions, but not this one, you know, yeah. uh, like, uh, uh, I'm just trying to state facts uh, about like, I, 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 mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, that the, the offensive line, you know, uh, has, has been an issue. It can, it, we can drill down a little bit further as well. 
which is it's really interesting when you split out uh, the types of run plays which is they're they're really good at uh at gap schemes like uh, like man blocking um because like you know regardless of sort of technique issues these guys are all big right they're all like mm -hmm. 300 pounders and when it's like just man on man like you know you know hey jonah you know hey uh jared like uh i need you to run uh, at that you know 250 pound linebacker uh from from you know crappy pac 12 school uh and hit him as hard as you can with like a 60 pound weight advantage like yeah he gets cleared out the way you know even teams with good rush defenses like utah like they you know, USC was kicking Utah's ass with off-tackle power runs. Now, I don't know why Lincoln Riley quit calling him. You know, that's, that is on him. You know, yeah. Beats me. Like, <laughs> But it's super clear when it's like man-on-man -man blocking because they can just leverage their size advantage. And it's it's just like, I mean, there's a reason why it's a Pop Warner play because you can get little kids to go, you know, go do it. On the other hand, you want to do something that's a little more technically complex, you know, like get them to do like zone blocking where they got to like chip move up to the second level or something. You know, along those lines, I mean, forget it. I mean, yeah, no, and and this is this is one of the complaints that I had. Um, there was a there was a run of games where it felt like USC's offense was just in its own way, was getting in its own way. Um, Arizona was one of those. Colorado in the fourth quarter was one of those. Uh, Arizona State was one of those. Uh, Notre Dame, obviously. <laughs> Um, and a lot of that was, I was waiting for Riley to scale things back and to do things more simple because clearly yeah. the offensive line wasn't yeah. capable of doing the more complex things that USC was doing. And this is the hubris of, of a coach who is as good at the offense as Lincoln Riley is, is that I think sometimes you can get into a mode where you're asking too much of players who are not capable of doing the thing that you want them to do. You're overcomplicating it. Uh, and uh, it takes you, it, it, I think it took USC a little bit too long to recognize, like to work within the confines of the offensive line that they have. And maybe that's the difference against Cal, against Washington from the offensive line perspective is I've, I've, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm imagining it, but it feels like there may be a trend towards, you know what? this is what my offensive line is good at running. So I'm just going to start running these things that my offensive line is, is good at running and uh, results, I think follow from that kind of mindset. Um, and uh, maybe I'm too little too late to a certain degree <sighs> here, but uh, that's something to look forward to potentially against Oregon is in that matchup. Will USC keep it as simple and as uh player, strength oriented mm -hmm. or do does Lincoln feel like he's going to have to uh, out uh, you know outwit Oregon at every level and I and I don't know that that's the way to go yeah I, I mean I don't know about out muscling Oregon either like I, I, I sort of think like I mean kind like I was saying I, I sort of think like you know a lot of the the thing about USC's offensive lines like the thing that they're good at is that they're just bigger than mm -hmm. than most of the defense that they played and I, I, I not the I case against Oregon yeah, uh, yeah I, I sort of think that they're going to play like the one defense uh, you know all year in which that's not going to be the case like they, they like the, the thing that I'm to tell you the truth the thing that I'm most worried about with Lincoln Riley is that he 
he actually sits down and tries to outthink this defense. Like that's what I'm worried about. <laughs> well, I want I want him to do that in areas that are le- to me less about the offensive line. Yeah. I, I want him to co- go into the game thinking that his offensive line is potentially going to get overrun. And how is he going to deal with that? Mm. Because that's what they didn't do against Notre Dame. I I don't know if this is the case, but it certainly watching that game felt to me like they were completely stunned that Notre Dame was yeah. winning the battle in the trenches. On well, and I mean, and didn't our, have a way to to counter counter. And I mean, that. Notre Dame had the RPO cracked. I mean, that was the thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it was like the opposite of the Stanford game, where like you know Stanford. I mean, Stanford's defensive coaches ought to hang their head in shame because, like, every time Riley ran that the, the RPO, like, they had no idea what was going on. It was actually kind of funny because Stanford was doing not a half bad job at like just straight runs or just pocket passing, like, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but like literally they could not defend the RPO, and so like Riley just ran the same two RPO plays like over and over and over, uh, you know. And but then Notre Dame was sort of the other way around, like, uh, like you know, they they, they they their their cornerbacks couldn't defend, you know know the wide receivers but then riley you know was like well let's see with the rpo and the and like and oh my god like you know there's gonna be a bunch of clips in my article but like from the notre dame game it's just like you send it you know when they line up this way it's gonna be the rpo there are only three active players on the play you just need to cover this dude this dude and this dude and that's what notre dame did and the plays over it's like uh uh-oh if lincoln riley's rpo screen scheme is cracked then like maybe Maybe he is done. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's switch over and finally talk about the defense. Huh. So I have read that the the defense will be called by uh, uh, Barry Odom and Sean Nua. Uh, Brian Odom and Sean Nua will what be. What did his... I say, Barry Odom? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's okay. I say Lamar Odom every time. Oh, um, that's a basketball player. I know. I know. Do you think Lamar Odom would be better than Grinch? Uh, At this point, yes. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I think Lamar Odom has maybe played enough uh, Madden in his life to to be able to to just call a a very simple defense. And yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so so Nua and Odom are the co-DCs, but uh, Riley has not said who will be calling the defense on the day our our guess is that it will be odom because he called defense uh in the alamo bowl um against uh, against oregon yes you know as as i said i've been writing for a long time about you know it's grinch like it's uh the the structure of the defense i'm not expecting to change simply because it's basically impossible to change the structure of a defense in the middle of a year i do think it's a little curious that it's basically switched from the like three three with a rush end to like a pretty base like like straightforward four two five, which is not like an indictment or anything. Tons of teams run a four two five. You know Iowa does. You know, they have like the best defense in the universe. I mean they have to. Uh, I, I'm sort of just expecting to see like the same structure of the defense. The only thing that I would sort of expect to see different is like well maybe they'll select a not as insane game plan, and maybe they'll be like less crazy aggressive. Because like that, you know, we've we've talked about it, but like that, that's sort of like the thing is that, the, you know, they they're, they're like, you're, you're not even allowed to get a three yard stop route. You know, you're not allowed to get anything. We're going to come running at you in a million miles an hour. And then like, oops, if if there's nobody, 
in the middle of the field and you can hit a, a pass, you know, there, and then it's going to go for, you know, a bunch of yards, then, uh, Oh, like, you know, yeah. that, that's sort of, you know, uh, in other words, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe expecting to see some aggression level change. I may be expecting to see some game plan level change, but I'm not expecting to see sort of structural level change because that would be impossible. Um, is that how you're seeing it too? Or, or, or have they said anything that's different? What do you think, Alicia? They haven't, and then they're not one to to reveal those kinds of things. So it's it's all reading tea leaves. But I, I'm with you in like there's a reason that coordinator changes when they happen. People like to do them around the bye week because then mm -hmm. you can actually try to do something different. They they don't have the time to do something different like uh, schematically. I think I think you're right that the the best case scenario for USC here is that the game plan is simplified. Um, and that they maybe just, uh, maybe, um, I mean, I don't know. I, I, this thing, like, I don't even know because I don't know, I don't know what, uh, the philosophy of somebody like, uh, Odom or Nua is in terms of the aggression kind of level. But mm. I think that we will see simplification, which may mean that what the aggression that USC tries to do won't also be accompanied by, weird exotic coverages that the players don't seem to understand where they're supposed to be that it'll just be more straight up like we're just gonna you know <laughs> go speaking, after you. speaking of that alex grinch was also the safeties coach which was a big part of my argument about why it's grinch uh, mm -hmm. because like, the safeties were the most problematic unit on the field um who's gonna be coaching the safeties now Taylor Mays. He was a, an what? assistant uh, oh, that analyst. Taylor Mays. The, that Taylor from Mays the, from the from from the the Pete Carroll era. The the, the guy who from the 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 Penn State Rose Bowl got in trouble. Yes, the P Penn State Rose Bowl who would have been ejected uh, and uh, had that not allowed to time. return for another million games for the hit that he laid on. Oh boy! Penn well, State, I'm looking uh, forward to a bunch of ejections then. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so it's it's Taylor Mays, and uh, and yeah, I mean, he's been an analyst uh, with the with the program this year. Uh, I don't know that he that you expect him to suddenly cure the the safeties of their ills, but uh, they will have a a coach out there this week who can be on field coaching them, and maybe maybe with his experience. Uh, get get something out of out of them i, I don't know this might be I, i've got some personnel questions to ask uh th this might be sort of a, a weird sounding or difficult or even impossible question to ask and or answer and, and if so just tell me uh but um I'm not expecting really for there to be you know real changes to the two or three deep uh but if there were it would be this scenario there's a bum on the roster who Alex Grinch has been protecting and irrationally. And with him gone, the now rational remaining staff will get rid of that dude and take the, the some other guy who has been buried on the scout team or whatever, uh, or only shown up during garbage time. And therefore I wouldn't have seen him because I don't watch garbage time. And uh, Hith, you need to go watch this guy because he's going to light it up. Uh, uh, is there any such thing going on? Uh, <laughs> uh, I wish. Um, uh, I, I think personnel wise, the, here's my problem. The, this is why I'm not banking anything on the defense getting better. 
uh, or personnel changes coming. The the co-defensive coordinators are the defensive line coach and the linebackers coach, mm. whose personnel decisions have been the things that have infuriated me the most this season. Uh, and maybe Alex Grinch was micromanaging the linebackers and the defensive tackles um, all season. In maybe, addition to not managing the safeties? I mean, maybe maybe that's the case, but I, I am not inclined to think so. So I think that those positions will probably, the rotations there will probably remain the same. But in a universe where Alex Grinch has been, I think, rightfully criticized for favoring smaller, mm -hmm. uh, quicker linemen, um, in a universe where maybe Sean Nua was playing personnel that were favoring the philosophy of his defensive coordinator, uh, maybe Sean Nua looks at uh, being newly freed as a co-DC and says, okay, you know what? I don't need to have uh, number 47 on the field. Uh, I can put Bear Alexander and Keon Bars, our biggest defensive linemen, uh, next to each other instead of only either or. Mm -hmm. um, I can put Jack Sullivan on the field as a bigger bodied but maybe slower uh, defensive lineman out there and, and see if he can get a, a bull rush going or something like that. And it, maybe this will create a slight difference on the defensive front. Um, that would be my my hope because to me, personnel-wise, I, I do not know why USC has persisted with Stanley Taufu. I, yes. I, I mean... I'm sorry. He seems like a really great kid. He obviously works hard because he wouldn't be getting playing time if that wasn't the case. But it is it is like having 10 men on the field. And that's and that's without talking about somebody like um, you know, Bryson Shaw, who at safety tries really hard. But uh oh, yeah, what a, what a kind way to put that. <laughs> but it's it's just not at the races. Uh, the, I got the, to watch that guy at Ohio State. This has been years for me. Yeah. Uh, the, and and part of the problem there, too, is like, okay, you have Kalen Bullock and Max Williams has been injured. Mm -hmm. And you're clearly... Oh, he came back for the Washington game, though. He did come back for the Washington game, yes. Um, and Bryson Char still plays. Um, mm -hmm. And they're clearly not prepared to throw someone like Christian Pierce in who's a, a freshman safety that got rave reviews in the off season and mm. looks like a, a prospect, but they're clearly not prepared to throw him in Zion branch, who would be the one that I would say would have been the shining. Maybe, 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 maybe this is the guy that makes he the difference. Of safety is out for the rest of the season. Um, he, he's related to Zachariah branch, right? Yes. He's his older brother. Yes. Uh, the, 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 the dream that we were having last week before Jacoby Covington was, uh, didn't dress for the Washington game was the idea of maybe doing something where you have Jacoby Covington fill in or Jacoby Covington at corner and Christian Roland Wallace to nickel or vice versa. And then you have maybe try Jalen. I've actually been very surprised that 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 Christian Roland Wallace has almost exclusively been playing outside corner and they haven't been doing that. I've been very surprised at that. Yeah, well, I think it's because they have Jalen Smith at, uh, at, at the nickelback and oh, he I has been, do that. well, he's been, he's been USC's most effective, um, uh, um, line of scrimmage sort of defender in that secondary. Um, 
which is maybe my argument for let Kalen Bullock be your free safety, you know, center fielder and let Jalen Smith be your other safety and try somebody else at nickel and sort of just see how that goes because it's Jalen Smith has been burned a few times, but he's not not a bad solution. I mean, he's, he's been far, far, far more reliable than either of the, I mean, anything that gets Bryson Shaw off the field is the correct solution, (laughs) But, but this is, this is what we've been sort of messing around with in our head is like, okay, so you could, you could move this guy in or you could, I mean, you maybe, maybe you give Sierra Wright another chance and you have Roland Wallace at nickel and then move Jalen and, and do, do a whole shuffle thing. Um, that is uh, a more of a possibility considering the fact that the safeties coach is now a different person. Mm. Uh, so maybe, maybe, maybe uh, Taylor Mays has different ideas uh, there. I am just not inclined to believe that that will be the case personally, because um, usually that's just not how, not how things work. They tend to favor the veteran guy, even if that veteran guy is an active detriment uh, I mean, to the squad. I, I've been, I mean, but, but no change, you know, in the cornerbacks, you know, we're, we're, we're Dante, you know, it's been, I mean, for, I, for weeks, it's been the exact same two cornerbacks, every single snap, no relief. It's been Damani Jackson and Christian Roland Wallace. And like, I, you know, I haven't really been wild about the cornerback room management. I mean, recruiting has been off the chain, but it, like, you know, where's Sierra Wright? Where's Jacoby Covington? Where's Prophet Brown? Where's, you know, uh, Trey, Trey Pagans I've seen, you know, rotating in at, um, at a, a, a nickelback, you yeah. know, because, because Max Williams is injured and, and they had to have uh, a Jalen Smith get relieved by somebody, but like, yeah, what's up with that? I, I, uh, given USC's recruiting at that position, given just the the consistency of the recruiting at that position, it is absurd that USC's corners. Where's are, Fabian Ross? I forgot about an, another four star cornerback who hasn't been playing for USC. The, in, the entire secondary is all four and five star guys because Dante Williams is an incredible recruiter. Yeah, but I mean, like reason... I understand the safeties being messed up because you know the Alex Grinch of it all, but like yeah. the cornerbacks, I don't get it, man. Demonic... Like it's, it's it's one Damani Jackson who like I, I think has a bright future. He's just a little you know young right he now. He doesn't look but, like he knows where but, he's supposed to be on any given play. He doesn't look like he know. He looks like a player who's completely devoid of confidence. Yeah. And why wouldn't he be? Because he is completely playing out of his out of his depth. And he is too talented of a just a prospect for that to to be just a well Damani just just isn't good enough and can't can't get it done like I I don't believe that I but think like, there you know we started at this conversation talking about Clay Helton and accountability and mm-hmm. it's like hey man you know an accountability based system might say Sierra Wright why don't you try something you know Prophet Brown why don't you try something Fabian Ross why don't you try something there's a there's a reason why I have been beating the drum of I know everybody loves recruiting and I know everybody loves certain people on this defensive staff, but the entire defensive staff has to go. And if you're throwing out a baby with the bathwater, uh, you have to do that because at a certain point, what's the point of recruiting five star guys if they play like I, two stars? I I know it's so like it was so crazy when we were doing the 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 summer you know stuff where it was like the cornerback room is upside down. Like I, I was I was critical of the defensive you know 
I, I they they were better than some in terms of a, like level of complacency, but I thought they needed to use the transfer portal more to get more dudes to to you know to beef up the front and and, and to really go hard at the safety room because I thought that they really need to reevaluate the safety room and the cornerback room was upside down. It was like you have tons of talent, quit taking all these transfers and play them. And like, yeah. Well, here we are. It's Damani Jackson and Christian Roland Wallace, and they get every snap. Okay, I want to go back to the front. Um, and I and Adam, I know is going to turn to pumpkin here in a second. So let me roll through this. I understand what you're saying about Tofu. I agree with you. I'm not sure what else they could do though, because like I've seen all 12 of these dudes. Like, um, you know, uh, the you know the the one line appears to be uh, you know on the end Solomon Bird and Jamil Muhammad. That was expected, you know, and then Bear Alexander, and then yeah, I agree with you, Dejon Benton, but what are you going to do move Kyron bars up it's not like he's relating the world on fire he's just big that's all um i'll pause i i, t I, I at this point i will just take somebody who's big next to bear alexander being okay. big and have uh but is that a correct two, recitation two of what the are, line is sorry is that a correct recitation of what the first line is bird what? alexander benton and muhammad bird it, it's it's uh bird alexander Taufu and Muhammad. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. So then next line I've been saying is, is Lucas bars. I've been seeing Taufu, but I guess Benton, uh, and then Romello height. They, they've been playing Benton more often, but it's yeah. still, they, I, I t from my memory, the first guy out there is, has been, has been Taufu. Um, let, let me, you know what? Let me flip the axis and do it another way. Let me ends. Uh, Solomon Bird, Anthony Lucas, Jack Solomon, Jamil Muhammad, Romello Height, Braylon Shelby. Have I missed anybody? Uh, you got Solomon Bird. Yes. Yeah. That's. Uh, I don't think they've got anybody besides those six guys. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> theoretically, with his I mean, tax, Corey Foreman, who's playable. <laughs> All right. Inside, yeah. Bear Alexander, Kyron Bars, Tyrone Teleni. Dijon Benton, Stanley Taufu, uh, Elijah Hughes, th those six guys. I, I don't think they've got anybody else. Yes, that's well. Yes, that's that's the guys who are who have been seeing playing time this year. Yes. Well, uh, yeah, but I'm, okay, but that th this is the nature of my question. Who, who else could they play then? I, th this is my hey, they've got a new coach now. Th th they could reevaluate, like Dijon well, Lafitte. Uh, Dejan Lafitte, Kobe, Kobe Pepe, um, Kobe Pepe's still on the team. He's still, uh, I mean, allegedly he's still on the team. I can't allegedly. say I've seen him, but he's on the roster. So I have to assume he's out there at practice. I'm not at practice, so I can't, uh, can't. I mean, I sure. guess, you know, I, 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 I take your point that, you know, Hey, the, the new, um, uh, uh, Cody C is the line coach maybe he'd reevaluate these guys differently w what i'm questioning is that like i think i've seen everybody i think i've seen everybody that they have and so this sort of feels like deck chairs you know what i mean oh one one million percent yes okay. yes absolutely i i i take everything that i say about the defense as well, maybe arranging the deck chairs, maybe it will make a difference about mm -hmm. the weight of the ship as it goes down and <laughs> buy somebody five more seconds to get off of the ship and onto a lifeboat. Uh, uh, yes, it is. <laughs> there's only there's only so much you can do here. There's only so much you can do. Uh, at this point, though, they have they have not tried the thing where they have 
uh, two big bodies next to each other in the center of the defense. Uh, they they have not tried the thing where they um, you know aren't asking Braylon Shelby to to drop back into coverage, uh, even though mm. that just ends in disaster every time. Um, <laughs> No, yeah, I, I, I do dig that. Linebackers, I have seen, I think, really just four guys. I, I've pretty much been seeing Eric Gentry, Shane Lee, uh, Tackett Curtis, the freshman, which I remember we talked about that in the summer, and Mason Cobb, the Oklahoma guy, uh, or Oklahoma State guy. Everybody, uh, at least everybody in Los Angeles, was hoping was going to be the savior of the defense. Yeah, <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. I, I don't believe... The, the only one you're before missing... Before we evaluate them real quick, I just want to get name names uh i don't believe that we have seen uh rajon davis or chris thompson um or garrison uh, madison or deuce palmer the smu dude we have not seen uh, uh palmer madden or um or thompson but rajon davis was getting some run uh i didn't notice now that i'm thinking about it i didn't notice him against washington so he might not have um he might not have i didn't played. see Cal. i didn't see him against washington he, uh, he, well, he is another one of those guys who's like, uh, viewed as the, the, the potential savior of the, of the linebacker crew when he wasn't playing and then he plays and then you realize that like, it, it literally oh, doesn't definitely. matter who's out there. They're all bad. Like, well, this is the thing is like, okay. So Eric Gentry, who's like, okay, that's a real interesting guy. You've got slender man, uh, out there. Uh, you've got Mason Cobb, who was not that bad at Oklahoma State, and then something happened. Um, I don't know, maybe he'll experience renaissance, you know, in the Grinchless world. Tack Curtis, who's a true freshman, like, and I actually think Tack Curtis has a bright future. I just, he's a true freshman. Uh, and then Shane Lee, who's like, you know, on the plays he's not making horrible mistakes, is like built like a correct linebacker, uh, but he makes horrible mistakes. And then I haven't seen anybody else. And like, this sort of like the Clay Helton accountability thing is like, where's Chris Thompson, the Auburn dude? Where is he? Is he on the team? Yeah. Like, <laughs> another, literally, another one. Is he on the team? Like, what, is I don't... The, what is the point of having him there? Yeah. I, I, the, the linebackers have been extremely frustrating because it feels like a, it feels like of all of the positions we've talked about of all of them, uh, where I can imagine in my head a scenario where like you could just try something different and maybe it'll have a different result. Uh, the linebackers, they've, they've tried everything. They're all bad. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if it's Cobb and Curtis. Uh, it, it's bad. It's it, Lee and Curtis. It's bad. It's Gentry and Cobb. It's bad. It's Davis and Curtis. It's bad. It's, uh, you know, every single combination they're all bad, well, which is more. Just, you didn't, you didn't know. To, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Uh, yeah. I mean the, the, I guess the biggest criticism is just that Gentry hasn't been playing as like Curtis has played far more than Gentry. And that does not make any sense. Yes. Uh, because, correct. because Gentry, uh, you know, uh, you know, he may be slender man and he may be just the weirdest fit at linebacker, but at least he makes plays occasionally. Um, He's tall enough to swap balls down, <laughs> which yeah, is which, which results in interceptions and potentially gives you a chance to win a game in, in which your defense had to get, you know, two stops in order to give your offense a chance. Uh, so the personnel decisions there are insane, but it's not like Eric Gentry is a, is, is a playing at a high level. He's just mm -hmm. at a higher level than everybody else. Who's I mean, literally. literally in the worst linebacker, you know, play that, that you could possibly imagine. And, and Mason Cobb is a weird defender because he just plays at, at, you know, 150% on every yeah. single play. And yeah. if he dialed it back to just normal, maybe he could 
do something but yeah i mean oregon fans have some familiarity with that yeah um <laughs> uh, but it, it's yeah not not to belabor the point because we're running low on time but like there there is no solution at linebacker because uh everything there to a man is just the worst thing you've ever seen and when it's that when that's the case when that's the case like it's the coach it's the scheme you you these guys can't all possibly be this terrible and and now he's the co-dc Yes. So, <laughs> hooray. Yeah, just well, when you thought that you had escaped. <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, speaking uh, of which, are you looking forward to the Big Ten? Yeah. I was about to say, <laughs> you were talking about uh, deck chairs, the Titanic. Well, at least we're in the really nice lifeboats. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll um, take being in the lifeboat than the freezing cold water that Oregon State and Washington State are Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Um, once again, Alicia de Otola of the wonderful Reign of Troy. Follow them at Reign of Troy. Also, go to Apple Podcasts. Give them five stars. Yay. Leave a comment. I'm telling you, you don't have to be a USC, a USC fan to enjoy the podcast. In fact, some episodes, it probably helps to not <laughs> like USC. Yeah, best couch to 5K program in the world. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Alicia, it was wonderful talking to you. And I'm excited that we still get to talk in the future about this team. Yes, 100%. I look forward to, uh, to more appearances with you all. It's always a good time absolutely and hey thanks for hopping on the show again my pleasure always a blast all right see y'all next week quack quack go trojans bye